is episode 19 of Locked and Bloated. We are here in uh, Ross's man cave. There are plenty of dead plants. Some living, of course, as well. But uh, the first thing that struck me, these little plants uh, dying of life. Ross, can I get out of here alive? <laughs> you will, of course. So there, that originally was one gigantic spider plant. Plant? Plant. Um, and it was repotted into three. One of them has died a slow death. One of them is doing well, fairly well, and then the other one I can't see. I don't know, it's been discarded. Uh, well, I think that says a lot. It says everything here. <laughs> he just decided to put it the, there in the corner. But no, Ross, we've had a lot to talk about this week. Um, no doubt people will be ready to hear your beard-stroking, thought-provoking perspectives on the new government. Yes, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, and the Green Party are a threesome that we thought we'd never have to deal with. But uh, Ross, this is the new uh, nightmare fantasy that we will be living for the next five years. Yeah, the axis of evil, um, as, I, <laughs> as I call them, or have been calling them. Like, yeah, I, I suppose the two of us would have a keen interest in politics, um, Politics. I studied um, sociology and politics, so I have a bit of an understanding. But when you're in college and studying it, it's one thing. But when you kind of move away from it, um, it kind of fades away into the ether, especially when things like what's currently happening is happening. So, yeah. What? So pre-pandemic, it was Mary Lou McDonald banging a drum saying who she may or may not pick yes. to form a government with. Mm. Post, well, as we approach a post-pandemic, I don't, I can't remember the last time I heard Mary Lou speak. Um, haven't heard much from Sinn Féin and a government is being formed by, Sinn, or by Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, propped up by the Greens. And how on earth do we get to this point? Is it difficult for Sinn Féin, considering that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil refuse to speak to them, and the fact that they're trying to, you know, people are saying, oh, they could form a lefty government, but that would include 19 independents who had would have all their own uh, agendas, who, mm. you know, at the end of the day, independents are very much, we're, we're doing this for our own constituency, and that's it. They don't, I, like, independents don't really look beyond the idea of, you know, in the national interest. So I, I suppose in that regard, Sinn Féin would argue that it's been quite difficult. And also with the fact that, you know, they've been shut out. They've been told many a time that, you know, the pandemic is the people in charge here. That's our job here. Mm. Um, so that might be difficult. But with Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party joining together to get a government of programme in place, what hopes are, because obviously the general election, one of the big the big bones of contention for many people was housing. What are your hopes of uh, getting a house yourself <laughs> in the next five years under this government? I, I will, I'd say they're, they're fading um, fairly quick because um, from as I understand it, it's big business when it comes to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and that's what matters most. Do you know, I think a lot, a lot of us after the last general election, we thought that social reform um, in many different guises would come one of them would be housing uh the health service would be reformed but but now when you have a coalition of um Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that doesn't look like that'll be at the forefront they've already ran both of those things into the ground over the last 10 20 years so uh, hopes would would probably be fairly low um it's it the fact that we're talking about housing um, I read a piece there in the Times uh, by Paul Donoghue, and it was a piece on 
that um, what, what he has uh, what he has written was the government's housing policies support foreign investment funds that are intentionally driving retail driving rental prices uh, Irish prices straight through the roof now that was a that was a note written by Gillen markets who are their uh, financial advisors mm. to a lot of big foreign investors and what they have said that the government's policies are about uh, encouraging foreign investors who only care about maximizing rental income rather than meeting the needs of societies and another thing is is that uh, Mercer US consulting firm has also come out and said Dublin is the most expensive Eurozone city um, for multinational companies to have their employees living. So even the multinational companies are kind of feeling a bit like, you know, we can't get people coming over mm-hmm. to D- Dublin because it's just so got, so expensive. And the idea that kind of that, you know, the fact that you know, if you have a government policy, like if, if you're a voter and you say, look, I want to get my house or, you know, I have a child who's living with me, you know, my big 40-year-old child is still living with me, I'm fed up of it. And when this comes out days before this government formation, where these two parties, because Fine Gael were in government and Fianna Fáil were propping them up, Fianna Fáil were kind of had, were kind of you know had their had their had their legs in both camps where they were kind of were in opposition, but were kind of supporting the government as well. Last government, um, where their policies essentially the housing policy of the government was favouring investors over average buyers. What 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 does that say to you know pe- people our age who mm. are trying to get in the housing market don't really have much hope you know we can't afford to get on to it um you know w- with regards to uh, onto the housing ladder and you know when with regards to social housing you know it's very unlikely a single person like me or s- someone in your position where you've got a girlfriend are going to be taken over for a uh, for a council house by a family you no, know not a chance so. But yeah, what Paul is saying there is is effectively what I was saying. Big business trumps everything else. To what the people need, what society needs, is secondary. And these you've seen it played out with the housing crisis, with the healthcare crisis. There's a reason why all the nurses in this country are striking every now and then. And if they're not striking, they're just going abroad. Mm. So. Yeah, I've said on the podcast before, I could go abroad and get somewhere much nicer that it isn't like a palatial palace, mm. but it but is something that is uh, value for your money. Do you know, there, there would have been a bit of optimism if, if, if Sinn Féin were able to form some kind of a coalition. I, I get it, yeah, absolutely. Trying to get there with a load of independence, you know, it was probably... It was probably too hard, and we we're probably going to go back back to the polls. But at least there was there was some level of optimism, and you could kind of expect that maybe some kind of change was coming. But like, there's nothing to suggest that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are going to somehow revolutionise or even evolve their politics and how they view society and how they how they how they operate. Like the the pandemic was a blessing in disguise for Fifina Gale. It it I think that their approval rating has has soared. Leo Leo Varadkar is Leo Varadkar is has benefited massively from the pandemic. Well, the fact that you're talking about approval ratings today and or last night in the Irish Times, um, Leo Varadkar's approval rating was at seventy five percent. 
Wow, huge. Now, I don't know who, who they interviewed. They could have maybe gone down to Fine Gael headquarters <laughs> and maybe picked Brown. But the fact that, you know, it does, does it say something about the fear amongst Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael of Sinn Féin that, you know, because pre, pre-election uh, on one of the debates in RTE, Leo Varadkar, and I quote him, turned around and says, handing over the economy to Michal Martin and Fianna Fáil would be like handing over the FAI to John Delaney again. Yet, now, he's getting into bed with him for a, a term of government. Yeah, it was a quick turnaround. Um, and it's not a comment that's aged very well. Um, I'm sure he wants to scrub that one from the internet. But it does tell you, yeah, for sure, there is fear there. The only way that they could uh, hold power is by doing what they said they would never do. And it took someone like Sinn Féin for that to happen. Mm. And it took, well, not the majority of the electorate, but the, the most that has ever voted for not those two parties. Mm. That's what it took. Um, so, yeah, there is a fear there. And, and when, you speak, when you speak about fear... That's that's what that's what played right into Fine Gael's hands. It was the pandemic caused fear, and Leo Varadkar stepped up and made. Yeah, there were good speeches, but what did he really do? What well, what was really done other than what every other country in the world has done? Um, well, not every other country. Most other European countries have enforced an effective lockdown. That's the only plan we had, and that's what Leo Varadkar did. He did that and. He took some interesting quotes from some movies, <laughs> and he got his top off and had cans in the park. I d- Which you approved of? <laughs> I absolutely do approve approve of it. And I'm not saying I'm one way or the other. I'm just calling it how I see mm. it. You know, I think there are some good things that that Finnegan did uh, during the pandemic, most notably, probably his speeches. But I think they caused an awful lot of fear also. Mm-hmm. So you know, like some of those speeches could have been you could have put them sandwich them in between the well, viewing of Independence Day and yeah. people might not have noticed <laughs> you know so um, would you, could, you, could you argue that when you're saying because you, you're, you're coming from the point of view where you're saying what did he really do apart from a few speeches like if we look at the, let's say if we compare ourselves to, let's compare ourselves to Europe I don't think we should compare ourselves to the UK because they were just like we're not going to do anything and mm. that backfired massively if you look at somewhere like France or Spain or Germany they enforced a proper lockdown. Hmm. Whereas if you looked at Ireland, ours was like a... It wasn't a lockdown. It was a quasi-wishy-washy, watery kind of lockdown. Like, we couldn't go shopping. We couldn't go to the pubs. Yeah. And we couldn't travel outside, you know, our county. But, you know, you had you know, you only had to look at the prom there. There's maybe, I would say, hundreds of cones, probably thousands of cones, where the council had to put out cones. The council actually literally had to put on, put round uh, barriers to mm. stop people going into salt uh, to stop people using the diving tower and yet you have a guard at guard a station there like surely those people like in Europe those people would have been fined straight away and not not done about nothing done about it whereas you know even now you're not supposed to travel outside your own county and I know I know plenty of people who are traveling yeah. to Dublin they're traveling down to Tipperary they're traveling to Mayo it's common and, and again like you look at the even start of this the rugby match was kind of the main thing. Ireland versus Italy. Simon Harris didn't want to postpone it. He wanted the IRFU to postpone it. And it was yeah. only with the IRFU turning around saying, no, we're playing this. And if you if you don't postpone it, we're playing this. It was the same as they, they postponed the match and then they allowed all those Italians in. So were, mm. Finne, were, were the government kind of a bit, you know, ha, have they been lucky 
with regards to numbers? Have, have they, did they really take decisive action? Yeah, that Ireland Italy game seems like a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to just to backtrack, um, has the lockdown in Ireland been as strictly enforced as it was in Spain? Um, no, we didn't get hit as hard. Mm. Do we not get hit as hard because we enforced an earlier lockdown? Maybe I don't know. Um, but certainly, it's been a lot more lax. Like I, I've said to um, multiple people that you know my life hasn't changed that much. Mm. It hasn't been that difficult. Uh, in fact, some parts of it have been even better. Yeah. Um, but I think I don't know. It's a difficult one. The government, yeah, they did well, but what did they do? Not a whole lot. It was a wishy-washy response at the beginning, um, and they kind of yeah, they, that was weird at the time. The RFU kind of in, uh, eventually kind of bowed down and said, whatever the whatever the government's guidelines are, we're gonna we're gonna go with that. Mm. Therefore, the king yeah. is is not going ahead. So, yeah, it was a bit... People were losing their minds on the internet uh, and specifically on Reddit um, as that weekend just before the lockdown. We were in the pub and we were having a great time uh, theorising about what might happen and what will happen. Could they have acted earlier? Yeah, I think that's probably a key takeaway. Mm. Act earlier, lock it down quicklier have rapid contact tracing, have rapid t- tests available. That's why there's there's several places in, in Far East Asia that have managed this very well because mm-hmm. they learned from the past. Yeah. They learned from SARS and MERS. So we, we thankfully haven't been afforded a pandemic previous in the modern day. Mm. What would be the greatest test would be what has the government learned when the next one comes around? And do we have structures and policies in place to act rapidly? Hmm. I suppose we've done a lot of talking about Fine Gael and Fine, uh, Fine here, but we have to remember there is a third party in this uh, menage a trois. Old Gil. Uh, Old Gil, the Green <laughs> Party. And I'm going to ask you a very, a very poignant question, a very leading question, Ross. Have the Green Party sold out? Yes and no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they've sold out, but a party is as small as the Greens is always any sniff mm. of government. They're going to take it and they're going to jump in. They're so small that all they can do is put put forth their agenda, their ideas into the formation of the government. But at the end of the day, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are just going to smack them aside and say, "Yeah, absolutely, yeah, lads, we'll do that." Just don't don't say anything silly in the media and you'll be grand. They haven't really paid attention to that, the Greens. But uh, it's, yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, do, I, do I think that we'll see a greener Ireland because uh, there's a, a three-way between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens? I don't think so. No. Not, even, not even if the Greens were the majority party in this weird axis of evil (laughs) (laughs) just had to get that in there once once more because it's hilarious I I, I feel like we've been transported back to George W. Bush times where you remember we used to (laughs) talk about what the tri-axis of evil Iran, Iraq and North Korea but yeah yeah, it's it's one of those things Ross where I think people are delighted that they have a government that it's finally kind of just they, they can move on but what does it say to someone that you know you know the process where you're saying you've got to go out and vote for change you've got to go out and you know 
you know, you know, use your vote for change. Will this, will, say the next election comes along, will this really deflate people who decided to register this time and go out and say, do you know what, I'm voting for a different party because I want change. They voted for change. Sinn Féin got a massive mandate. Mm-hmm. Um, but effectively, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil were like, well, we don't care. Uh, is, it, is, is it, just another question, is it hypocritical of them, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, going up north to say to the DUP and other other parties, you've got to accept Sinn Féin, they're a legitimate party, you've got to be in a coalition with them. And then when it comes to down here, down in the Republic, they're like, no, we can't possibly deal with these people. Yeah. These are hypocrites. These are these are shadowy figures. I think so, yeah, absolutely. Going back to the first question, uh, will be will people be disappointed, deflated? Will they not vote? Um, I think we, ha- we now have a high percentage of very young voters, 18 to 24 year olds, that are now understand the power of the ballot and understand the power of their vote. Um, I think they will turn out in years to come. I think a lot of people will be annoyed by what's happening, uh, worried by what's happening. Then on the other side, you've got an older cohort of the electorate who uh, find comfort in what they know um, and in the parties that they know and the st- well, the perceived stability that something like uh, those like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael uh, might offer. So I'm not sure which way your demographic is moving, but I do think we are moving to a, a younger society um, and a younger demographic. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, on the other side there, with, with Sinn Féin, um, absolutely, it's, it, it's hypocritical. You know, they were trying to legitimise... Uh, Sinn Féin and say that this they're a genuine force in Irish politics but when it came down to them Fine Gael only wanted to save themselves mm. and had no interest in dealing talking with or trying to manage any kind of a relationship with Sinn Féin yeah. so where does that leave us moving <laughs> forward if, if we when we do have another general election and this this I don't know abomination of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil plays out Maybe we'll all be gagging for even more change, you know. We'll, we'll be maybe we'll, we'll be we'll be I don't know. We'll be out in the streets marching um, with tricolors. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see what happens. It's going to be fascinating. I I know. I like. I just can't see anything changing. Can't see it. I think uh, I think uh, it, it will, as you say, it will be fascinating. But uh, I think Ross, I think we, uh, our listeners will know what uh, your feelings are on this uh, new three-way government. <laughs> You've left them in no doubt. Good, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hit me up. But uh, I, I think we could talk about this all day. But there are other things going on in the world, Ross. Um, and I suppose a great love of ours is sport. There's going to be so much sport coming in. But uh, with with sport getting back onto our TVs and obviously clubs looking towards the next season. There's been a bit of a furore over a certain jersey. Uh, Linfield, one of the very famous clubs in Northern Ireland, uh, brought out a new football jersey uh, which was purple and had an orange sash which is very, very closely linked to the colours. Almost, well, it is identical to a Loyalist Power Military Group, the UVF, and now Umbro, who designed the jersey... I've now said, um, yeah, we're washing our hands of this. Uh, we're very sorry for the coincidence. Uh, we won't be marketing this. Bye. <laughs> is it per? Is it bad form of a sports company to, one, design this for a club, 
give it the go ahead and then once it sees kind of the backlash like did no one think at Linfield Football Club did no one think at the IFA IFA and like any football organisation has to give approval to any jersey that's made that is then worn by clubs and no one at Umbro think where have we seen those colours before (laughs) do you know what I mean like yeah well I've I I don't actually have never known what the UVF flag has looked like (laughs) until now Uh, so good job on promoting that Linfield um so but when you hold when you look at them side by side I saw a post on Twitter and it had the Linfield jersey as sported by Linfield player it had the UVF flag and you just look at them and you're like what have you done <laughs> why how did this how yeah like you say how did this come about well obviously you clear how it came about Linfield would have approached Umbro and said we've got a great idea for a jersey it's going to sell like mad um <laughs> And then, but there should be checks and balances there yeah. to say, look, it's a great idea. You make loads of money, but is it in good taste? Yeah. Is it ethical? Is it moral to associate so closely with the paramilitary yeah. organization? I think one of the big things for people is even the colors. Yes, they are the exact same. I think what's really riled people as well is the fact that the orange is an actual sash. <laughs> And if, any, and if anyone knows anything about uh, up north, you know, the orange sash is a very divisive divisive piece of clothing. So I think it's very... Because per- Linfield has, haven't even come out and said what inspired them to design this kit. What inspired them to, to use these colours? Now, Linfield in the past, their home kit is red, white and blue. Mm. Union That's flag is red, white and blue. Fairly straightforward. Though. Right. Um, they've had a number of aware kits in the past which are orange. And now it seems that they've gone, but people have kind of people have kind of ignored that. They've just said that's fair enough. But the fact that these colours are distinctive for the UVF and their flag, it it really does, as you say. It's what does that say for players who are, let's say, of a nationalist background playing? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that say? Because football clubs are supposed to be all inclusive, community inclusive. Then doesn't matter what colour you are, doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. You can all come and support us. What the, what like what that just basically says to me that this is who we are, and you're just going to have to accept that. Yeah, yeah. You, so there, so some of those ideals that you lined out um, of football and a lot of sports, um, they're an idea. But when you go to the stands mm. and you're standing in the stands, it's a completely different story. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it does. It does. It's it's a weird one and it's a shocking one. Uh, it's a humorous one depending on which way you look at it but the fact that it went from being an idea to making it yeah. into a physical jersey is crazy Umbro said and um, they released a, st- a statement and it says at Umbro we believe in the youth unifying and democratic power of football this is why we are opposed to all forms of discrimination discriminatory behaviour and violence which is what which is effectively what you said Yeah, and there should be an asterisk at the bottom that says but we condone paramilitary beatings yeah <laughs> because this jersey has been produced yeah. and it doesn't look like it's going to get pulled no, no. It's, I, I, th- I think they're actually going to go ahead with it they're just not going to promote it yeah yeah i think one of the big things for people is that linfield haven't still haven't come out and said you know the reasons why they've chosen this design and the colors and i think that's really putting people pressure on people now maybe as you said and we're only speculating here. Someone may have turned around and says, "Well, do you know what? What will sell really well with our core supporter base?" Yeah. You know, I'm just saying. And obviously, the controversy because it's 
you can't turn around and say it's not been publicized so people yeah. might turn around and go do you know what I'm going to buy this to support the club that's, everyone's against our club like you think about Man United like or Liverpool mm. where there's nothing going on they might turn around if someone turned around and was giving out about Man United and about their New Jersey it would kind of be like they're attacking my club yeah for sure it would, it would make support more ardent um, and I would say that to the extreme mm. maybe up, uh, up in the north but a lot of thing, a lot of marketing these days seems to be very focused on social media yeah. and driving clicks and driving like snappy short news pieces that you know inspire rather than actually have a basis yeah. and have any moral fiber to them like, like a lot of people have said Paul Pogba's transfer from Juventus to United was uh, a viral marketing dream yeah has it it's not really turned out yeah. in a footballing sense you know it was great to see Pogba Pog back it's yeah. still stuck in, <laughs> it's still stuck in my brain so yeah we've gone into this weird uh, post marketing online version of of how things are sold to us and sometimes they might not be the best idea uh, clearly this one wasn't Paul Pogba is playing uh, this week so he might get a chance to redeem himself I don't know if Linfield will get a chance to redeem this jersey though I suppose Ross we might as well you know we, we, we've we've, we've talked do you know what I think we've talked a little bit of, uh, quite a bit about kind of being down not not positive we might as well end with a bit of positivity and that is we had some live sport at the Hurrah. weekend with crowds it with, was brilliant with crowds and it, it lived up to the billing yes the Super Rugby had, this Super Rugby Super Rugby <laughs> Super Rugby at Oroa I've been practising you have that's good I'm not going to attempt it um, returned last weekend with two matches in front of pretty much bumper crowds um, great rugby played really entertaining if you got up in the morning if you sky if you sky recorded it a fair play to you you know but one thing we did what I noticed and what you noticed was the amount of penalties that were in each game there was at least 30 penalties in each game which is f- f- monstrously high and the Kiwis were already complaining about it saying oh the referees are being too pedantic being too strict despite the fact that the first the three changes to the rules in the in this competition were, and when I say changes, this one it was just a reinforcing of the laws. How can professional rugby players not know the laws of a game? I think I think they do do know the the laws of the game, but they've just been eroded so far that they no longer exist. <laughs> and if they don't exist, you forget about them. Like that offside line has been crushed, demolished, chewed up and spat out. The offside line no longer exists. Mm. And you rightly pointed out the last day when we were chatting about it that it's resulted in far fewer tries being scored because there's no room to manoeuvre. Unless you're a large, large man that can punch a hole, then then you can create some space. But it it can only be good. And I was tweeting um, during the game on Saturday morning um, and said that the players will eventually adjust to it. They didn't. No. <laughs> they didn't. Um, and it, it, yeah, it slowed down the game, but in theory, I guess it should speed it up yeah. once everyone acclimatizes to it. But if you've been doing something one way for so long, for all of a sudden 
and it, but it shouldn't be all of a sudden yeah. but it clearly looked like all of a sudden these players had yeah. never been refed on yeah. the game line properly in their entire lives also that dynamic movement yeah. was brought in you can't go crawling burrowing yeah. forward once you've been tackled but these these are all these are all laws that were there in the first place like if you look at the law book like you, as you were saying that burrowing thing that burrowing movement as uh, players do where they're tackled and they might try and uh, crawl a couple of more yards mm. that's that was already in the law book like if you actually look at the law book, like the idea you hear about when the defenders at the breakdown when they talk about the jackal position, yeah, that's an illegal position. It's it literally states in the law book, your head and shoulders are not allowed to be below your hips, <laughs> which means you're. It gives players it's and it makes it safer. It gives the players who are clearing out a chance to actually drive players off the ball. But I suppose one of the things my big thing was the New Zealanders complaining about you know saying there's too many penalties and you're like. What's the point of having a law book if you don't want to you know, follow the laws? Like at the end of the day, I think we were talking about this the other day. If I said to you, you know, oh, uh, that was a great try. And you were like, but there were three, four passes. In it. And I was like, but Ross, it's all about entertainment. <laughs> you know, like you're being too strict. Who cares about it? Like people would be like, oh, well, you can't like four passes are a bit ridiculous now. Yeah. But, I think that puts it in perspective. Do you know, if you so saw if say on the weekend there was a try scored and there was more than one blatant forward pass N- nobody would stand for it no. you wouldn't have it because it's such an advantage yeah. it's the exact same with the game line yeah. but in New Zealand they have eroded that mm. and they've become masters at managing and creeping up and being offside when the referee doesn't notice it and using it to their advantage and I think that's admirable yeah. I think the way that they they managed to do that is fantastic and other teams try to emulate it but they can't do it as well and when you take away when you take something out of someone's arsenal and say hey hey hey, hey give that back to us yeah. we don't want that taken away yeah. because that's how we play the game yeah. but it's been brilliant for, the, for world rugby to say actually do you know what this is becoming a bit of a farce and yeah. it's ruining the game um, so obviously there's going to be a bit of backlash because that's the way they've played the game for the last 10 years yeah. and it's the way everyone's been moving yeah. towards playing it but I think long term like those, the, I didn't watch the second game I watched Highlanders and the Chiefs mm. um, on Saturday morning Warren Gatlin's son uh, kicked drop mm. goal to win it after it had just been another drop goal yeah. and it was a brilliant game um, so good and I think it only benefits it, it, it long, long term um, just let, let let's see how it takes let's see how it takes hold in the northern hemisphere. Let's see how try and put yourself into neutral and see if you find yourself giving out when you we're Connacht, Ulster, or Ireland are pinged for them. Um, that'll be an interesting way and yeah. an interesting barometer. Uh, Ross, I've got bad news. We done. Is that it? We're already done. <laughs> already quick. done. Another another podcast is done. Uh, yeah that's episode 19 come to a conclusion Ross will uh, be running in the next general election to uh, stop uh, stop the stop the powers that be from getting into stop government stop the again. rot um, but <laughs> yeah look we've got to talk we, we are finished but we've also got to just mention that you know all the live sport the Premier League kicks off tomorrow night are you excited Ross? yeah really looking forward to it United um, play on Friday against Spurs um, be interesting to see what level of where the standard of football is are all the players knackered is everyone going to get injured or will we have a load of goal fests um, Super Rugby I'm going to be getting up again on the weekend because I'm now addicted um, whether people are complaining about the new laws or well they're not new laws the 
the reinforcement of previously existing laws <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue. But yeah, sports, sports, and more sports. Come on. Uh, and I suppose Ross, just before that tonight, uh, your beloved Werder Bremen are in a massive clash with Bayern Munich. One side trying to look to get out of relegation, the other looking to clinch the championship. Will you be watching? I will, yeah. I'm going to pop it on and have a look. Um, I feel like it will be just watching whack-a-mole and <laughs> Robert Lewandowski and Bayern are just going to absolutely destroy Bremen. Uh, Bremen have been poor. Um, it's only fair uh, that happens. What happens, happens to them. Um, we'll leave it at that. Who knows? They could they could win the game five four. The Bundesliga is crazy like that. Wise words from Ross. Ross <laughs> Look, folks, that's us done for episode nineteen. We are locked and bloated, and we'll chat to you next week.